Welcome to Homefront on Missouri Grassroots Radio. I'm Cynthia Davis, your host. As a writer, speaker, and former legislator, we discuss limiting government, fiscal responsibility, and fair taxation. I'm a mother of seven and a wife of one for over three decades, so I bring you my personal experience. And now it's time for Homefront with Cynthia Davis. another great day here at Homefront. Tonight we have a very special guest. We've got a, a gentleman who comes to us all the way from Washington State. And here's what they want you to know. <laughs> he has made it abundantly clear that people are tired of political correctness and people are ready to hear the truth. So this reality demonstrates the need for courageous leaders in all spheres of our society, particularly within our government, people who are willing to speak the truth and stand for our foundational principles. So that is what Sharam Hadian stands for. Good good afternoon, Sharam. How are you doing? Cynthia, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Thank you so much for the invitation to be on the show with you, and um, it's an honor. Well, is the sun still up out there in Washington? It is. It actually is. Uh, and we actually have sun, which, uh, you know, during the winter time we don't see that much of. But uh, we've, we've had good weather and uh, we've been blessed with it. Well, it's getting dark here in Missouri. And it's actually getting dark all over the whole country. We're yes. watching a lot of our natural light that we've enjoyed for 200 years start to dim. And we are so excited about you coming on our show tonight because we were hoping you could enlighten us. For all of our great listeners, I just want you to know that Sharam has served his local community as a pastor, a police officer, a teacher, a coach, and a small business owner. Yoo-hoo, I like small business owners. I'm one myself. And so you recently were a candidate for governor in Washington. Was that just this last November? That was last year, yeah, between 2011 and 2012 um, uh, was the candidacy for governor. Special. Well, um, we have in, in my hand here, which you cannot see, you'll just have to trust me, I'm holding this beautiful video called Restoring Our Constitutional Republic. And there were a lot of people who walked away from the November elections feeling disappointed. And it was not a good day, actually, for many people. I know there were a few small bright spots in our country, but in general, we are watching things diminish. Our, our And I was talking to David Barton about this, and he said, he knew the country was in trouble when he was watching the ballot issues because on that night, election night, he could see what was happening with the the uh, marijuana was winning, homosexuality was winning, and the Christian candidates, many of them were losing, and and it really is unbelievable but you talk in your video about courageous leadership can you explain to us what is courageous leadership well that was um you know that had come to us really through the theme of our campaign because um i was running as a uh you know massive underdog uh somebody who people were very uh upset that i was even in the race uh and of course for us it was a calling because it was something that had been put on my heart several years before that uh, through prayer. But uh, we knew that um, today what I believe courageous leadership is, is that you have to go in the face of um, of not just criticism or people who don't agree with you, but really in the face of uh, almost persecution to the point where you're going to be called names and you're going to be, um, uh, you know, everything's going to come against you. And to, to be able to stand for the truth, to be able to stand for um, our foundation as a nation um, is no longer not only popular, but it's actually a threat. And we're seeing that. We're see- and, and we see it in the party politics, and we see it in our, in our civil authority as the government. And so uh, a lot of that for us, 
through uh, the campaign was um, actual experiences. Those were experiences of how we were being attacked and 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 uh, being um, undermined uh, uh, by those uh, who who should have been supporting a candidate like myself, who was standing on the very foundational principles of the the, the nation, of uh, our constitution. And uh, and even, you know, I ran as a Republican in Washington State. I was standing on the platform of the party, and yet the party chose to support a candidate that uh, was pro-homosexual, pro-abortion, pro-radical uh, you know, environmentalism, pro-globalism, pro-socialistic uh, education agendas, uh, everything that is against the foundation of the nation, and yet um, they were supporting candidates that they thought they could win. And so... That really opened our eyes, and I agree with you that November uh, did. It, 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 uh, I think it hit a lot of people after the elections that uh, got very discouraged and very much uh, a sense of, of uh, wow, uh, it now has, has surfaced how, how uh, serious things are and what a, what a condition we are. But I look at it as from, from the other perspective, of a positive perspective, of that I believe that it also caused people to wake up to say, wow, Look how far we have fallen, and what is it going to take to truly get us back to our foundation? Not little small tweaks, uh, not little little small um, changes back, but really what is it going to take to get us back to our foundation? What is it going to take to see a restoration? That's what my message is, is I'm, I'm trying to get into people's minds. We have to have a restoration, small little tweaks, getting a couple of people elected here or there, getting a couple of uh, laws passed is not going to change the course that we have been on for uh, many, many, many years. Um, we must see a restoration. And it can only happen if God is central to that and, and the, the godly principles that founded this nation in the first place. Yeah, well, the problem, and you mentioned God, <clears throat> which is something that has become taboo in certain circles. Even the Republican Party has had a, a group of homosexuals who were trying to get involved in doing the the party platform last year mm-hmm. you have people you know who are now conflicted over whether we should you know keep under god in our even in our pledge of allegiance we have people who are trying even if they know the truth they keep themselves quiet because they don't want to offend anybody and there's right. this fear that you know, and I love your name, Truth and Love, because there are a lot of people who would like to paint us as being hateful if we just hate the truth, and that should scare all of us. Because I, I saw this poster that said, "Hate speech is hate speech. Truth is hate speech to people who don't like the truth." And right. I mean, how do we get around that? Because the the most horrible thing you could tell a Christian is that they're not being loving because that's the one thing they're supposed to do above all else. Love God and love your neighbor. So where did the name truth and love come from, and where is the truth and where is the love in it? Well, uh, that's a great question because um, uh, the, 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 the calling of truth and love is stri- stri- straight out of the Bible, that we are actually called, we're not called to just love and we're not called to just speak the truth. We are called repeatedly, particularly within the New Testament, to speak the truth in love. The Apostle Paul, uh, you know, talks about that we are called to speak the truth in love. And so, um, the truth in love, uh, when you see in Scripture truth spoken, um, truth is hard. Uh, my testimony, as uh, as you know, uh, Cynthia, but your listeners may not know, I come from a former Muslim background. I became a a, a believer in Jesus Christ 14 years ago. And so the truth of the gospel message, the message of um, of Christ dying for us, uh, being resurrected, th- that he is the Son of God, you know, that message um, that, w- that was spoken to me initially offended me. Um, uh, and, and I, and I uh, took offense to it. But the reason I share that is because it was the truth. And even though it was spoken to me in love, it still offended me. But now I realize that it really wasn't an offense Really, it was the truth piercing my heart. And when the truth pierces your heart, the Bible says that it is only the truth that sets us free. So the truth in love is that if you love somebody, you will speak truth to them. You will not deceive them. You will not hold back those things for them. And so we see 
throughout history and particularly um, in Scripture that uh, whenever um, the nation, for example, the nation of Israel got in trouble, that God would send prophets, God would send those to speak the truth to them. And the truth hurt. But it was for their love. It was for their benefit. It was to turn them back to the right way, not to allow them to continue to go down a path that was going to lead to further destruction and further misery and further uh, hopelessness and lawlessness. And so, um, but but you are correct that when you do speak the truth, you're, and, and you offend people, um, uh, the 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 challenge for a lot of people is well, but then I'm not going to be liked. Well, but that's the reality that when you speak the truth, uh, you, you know, for, for the Christian, uh, Jesus warned us of that. That um, he said, I have not come to, to bring peace, but to bring division by the sword. He was speaking that as far as an, uh, what, what uh, his disciples should look like, those who are followers of him. So that we demonstrate love, we carry ourselves with love, but when the time is necessary, we must speak the truth. And that's the problem we have is that people are more worried about being uh, have their feelings hurt or feeling other people, you know, hurting other people's feelings, than speaking the truth in love and knowing that you're going to offend somebody. And that's why I say that we must eradicate political correctness. Uh, that's mm-hmm. the really the mission of the Truth and Love Project is to eradicate political correctness. And you can't you can't you can't navigate around political correctness because it's like a minefield. You know, you, inevitably you're going to step on. Uh, a, a mind that's going to hurt someone's feelings. You must just plow through truth and love, speak through it, knowing that you're going to set off some minds. And we have to keep going. Look, the nation is in deep, 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 deep trouble. <laughs> and so if I care about the nation, I need, I need to know that I'm going to hurt some feelings in speaking the truth, but I'm looking at the bigger picture. I'm looking at what is it going to take to turn this nation around and the hearts of people back to our foundation and that message is not always popular but the other thing that I have we have focused on as far as with, with the Truth and Love Project and those that we work with is that we're also looking for those that are like-minded we're not trying to um, reach the, the those that are sort of not there or wishy-washy or I mean we speak the truth and, and maybe the truth can speak to them maybe at a later point they come on board but right now, our focus is to find those that are like-minded, that we can work together, and um, it will be a small group, and it will be a remnant. But I always remind people that the birth of this nation, uh, those who stood for the birth of this nation and paid a heavy price, it was only a, less of a third of the colonies that wanted separation and independence so they can stand on the laws of, uh, you know, the laws of nature of nature's God. It was only about 8 to 10% of the colonists that fought in the Revolutionary War. It's always been a few. And that's what it would take to, I believe, see a restoration. Well, just observing history, there was an article that came out recently by Leslie Fain, and she wrote this. As European churches sell off properties to resort spas and mosques, and Christians approach a minority status in England, one prominent theorist says the same fate could befall the U.S., and not for reasons people might think. If we don't get our demographic and theological houses in order, we're going to be in trouble. And and all we have to do is take a lesson from Scandinavia and, and watch how bad it can get, how more, if we want socialism, under this brand, we're headed for trouble. There are people, and, and you combine that with how few people are having children anymore today. And there's another article that said religious people tend to have more children, which I think is interesting because it points to the fact that it's something bigger than us. It's a belief that there is a God and there's a future beyond mm-hmm. this life because family is sacrifice. You have to let people spit up on your shoulder and white bottoms and all that. <laughs> it's, it's tough work. And if if it's all about me, 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 and all about my selfishness and and all about my happiness, then there are no that that is as anti God as as other theories go. So you you said in your video, if God isn't in it, it won't work. 
And I want to hear you talk to us about it because there are a lot of Tea Party groups. There are a lot of patriot groups even that call themselves patriots because Tea Party's not popular anymore. Did you know that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it started to fade. And I even had my political consultants tell me, don't use the word Tea Party. Call it grassroots. Well, it doesn't take people long to mentally interpret what the word is. And so, I mean, we are all looking at a tough thing. But part of why I believe the Tea Party is diminishing is because they never, a lot of them, you know, wanted to make it a fiscal topic. We don't like taxes, okay? Can we all agree on that? Yeah, we can agree yeah. on that. <laughs> Once they got into social issues, then they started falling into tatters. And so here we are. Um, wait a minute. If we're not allowed to talk about God, then what else is there? So what do you mean when you say if God isn't in it, it won't work? Well, uh, you can look at that from two two, two aspects. One is... Um, you have to look at the nation's spiritual uh, makeup and what is happening spiritually um, and to some extent morally. But you have to also look at the principles. Um, the principles that allow the nation to have uh, uh, laws in place. In the presentation, obviously, I broached the subject of the common law, of the, the, the natural moral law that was established by the founders that was uh, very different than the British common law and um, established basically the the embodiment of the Ten Commandments, that they said, you know, to have a free society, um, we must see uh, the Ten Commandments uh, at the core of it. Uh, You know, none of them would have argued with that. Uh, Even John Adams affirmed that even if the Ten Commandments hadn't come from heaven, uh, even if they weren't, you know, heaven's laws, that uh, they would be, and I'm giving a direct quote now, they must be made inviolable precepts in every society before it can be civilized or made free. So, that was a direct quote from John Adams. Now, when you look at the fact that the, the founding of the nation, which uh, those who came to America, the separatists, the pilgrims, the, 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 the forefathers, they were seeking religious freedom. They were seeking the right to worship God. They were not seeking a secular society that would then say, God is not welcome in any area of our, of our culture. Keep it private. Don't talk about it publicly. We can't talk about these issues. So where the Tea Party went wrong, where all these groups are going wrong, where the Republican Party is going astray, um, is the fact that they have decided that if we just talk about the budget and the taxes, um, you know, we can turn the nation around. But that's not what the founders were talking about. Of the grievances that were listed in the Declaration of Independence, some were about taxation, but there was others that were about lawlessness, morality. So, so morality and religion was always the foundation. In fact, George Washington called those two things the two inseparable pillars of any free society, morality and religion. So when we talk about why it's important to have God be central, is because that's how it was built. And I, 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 I always get into discussions with those who say, well, I love the Constitution, I want to see us go back to the Constitution, but let's leave morality and that God thing out of it. Well, those people are either... Uh, ignorant of what the foundation was, or they're intentionally saying we want to now create or further a, a secular society. You can't. If you have freedom, with uh, if you want to have true liberty, I should say, people want liberty, and they think liberty means I can do whatever the heck I want. Liberty was always freedom with morality, because the morality gave you boundaries to the liberty. As you said at the very beginning of the show, unfortunately, Washington State was one of those states in November that legalized not only same-sex marriage, but marijuana usage. So we're right in the, on the cusp of this movement to further remove any aspect of morality, but the reality is that's not a true statement, because they are imposing morality. It's just their morality. It's not that we're not imposing morality. It's they're imposing their morality. And when the Tea Party or the Patriot groups or the Republican Party says, let's just focus on fiscal issues and not talk about morality, the reality is the, the, the other side, like in Washington State, the Democrats spent 2012 and the majority of the session focusing on passing same-sex marriage, while the Republicans were saying, well, let's just balance the budget. So why would they be focusing on so much time redefining the family, redefining marriage, 
coming against uh, you know those moral issues because they know that in order to have their vision of America, uh, their socialistic, communistic, atheistic, secular vision, that those things must happen. And so we got to recognize that morality is still in play. Somebody's morality is being legislated and pushed on us. And if we want to see a restoration, only God's morality can give us that hope. George Washington, and if you remember, Cynthia, I have a quote from George Washington in the presentation, where he says, The propitious smiles of heaven can never be expected on a nation that disregards the eternal rules of order and right which heaven itself has ordained. How can we expect the blessings of heaven or the blessings of God on a nation that disregards God's laws? And that's why the founders put in the Declaration that they're asserting the laws of nature and nature's God. So the idea was there that anything that legislatively or a government seeks to pass or put forth that violates the laws of nature and nature's God, the moral and natural laws, should never be even thought about, let alone shove down the uh, the lives of the other people in the nation who don't agree with those things, which is exactly what happened in Washington State last year when by the vote of the people, this is what, by the way, mob rule does. This is why we're not a democracy. We're supposed to be a constitutional republic because a democracy, when the voters can decide on their own to shove immoral things down the uh, throats of other people, that's when you have mob rule, and that's what democracy does for you, and that's why the founders warned us that democracy was so turbulent and dangerous um, to a free society. So uh, I'll stop there and <laughs> let you talk in, uh, but but you can obviously, um, I'm very passionate about trying to discuss with those who um, want to leave that out, and I think the Tea Party has made a grave mistake because the majority of those that were in the Tea Party are, I believe, God-fearing people. But they made a mistake, and they decided, we're not going to talk about moral issues, we're just going to talk about limited government, uh, liberty, and uh, taxation. Well, what is limited government? What, what caused, what gave them the formula for limited government? It was God's morality. What gave them the formula for liberty? It was God's morality. What gave them the formula for proper taxation? It was God's morality. You know in the Bible... It, um, it is unbiblical to have inheritance tax. It was forbidden. Because if you work hard in your life and you become prosperous and then you want to leave that uh, blessing to your next generation, it was theft for any government authority to come in and take uh, money from you when you die. Do you know that income tax, progressive income tax, is unbiblical? Do you know that property taxation is unbiblical because it was serfdom, it was it was feudalism, it was what why under common law it's prohibited where we're supposed to have allodial property, which means that you're supposed to be free on your property. Well, the the fact that you and I have to pay property tax by force, we don't get a choice. We, we if we buy a property, we got to pay property tax, and if we don't pay it, even if we own our property outright, they can come and take it from us. That was unbiblical. So all those things are from God's morality. That's what birthed this nation. You can't restore it any other way. And I don't know how else to explain it to people, other than through all those examples, that it's not just moral as in social issues like marriage or homosexuality or uh, abortion. It is on uh, issues of national security, of being lawful, of property taxation, uh, of the right to, de- to to defend yourself, all of those things actually come from God's morality. Um, they're just not being taught anymore. I agree. And the morality, though, let me clarify, for those who have not studied the marijuana issue, and, and we're not doing the show on it tonight, but a lot of people on our side have never been presented with facts. And what they don't realize many good, innocent citizens. I'm sure there are some people in Washington State who don't want to use marijuana, but they voted to legalize it for everyone else because they figured that would be a nice thing to do. But nevertheless, marijuana causes brain damage, and it decreases motivation. Now, you combine 
uh, stone society who have a, a decreased motivation with the welfare state, and you've got a recipe for bigger problems. Children will use it if it becomes legalized because uh, you can't really define the line too clearly when you say it's okay for the adults, but but uh, then they're going to give it to their kids. We're going to have teenagers show up at high school stoned. And how many, think about this. How many 21-year-olds feel like they need to go out and get drunk on their 21st birthdays? It's because suddenly they can get drunk on their 21st birthdays. And if you've never had a 21-year-old, <laughs> then just don't worry. If you got to you got to do something fun with them on that night. <laughs> <laughs> but, distract uh, distract them. Yeah, additionally, a lot of people may not realize that 70% of the marriages that have a problem with domestic violence and they're about to break apart, alcohol and drug abuse is a factor. So, yes. you know, you you want to really see domestic violence and other problems go get worse, put people in an altered state of mind, and then see how nice that works out for everybody. So that, that's just a little free throw in here. But I want you to tell us about your campaign, and I want you to tell all of us what did you learn from running for a statewide office in Washington State that we can benefit from? Wow, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I'll try to keep it short because <laughs> there's a lot to share. But, um, you know, I, the campaign had, I think, multiple purposes. Uh, again, we were we were massive underdogs. Um, our, our results uh, uh, were disappointing in the end uh, in the primary because, um, as I said, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I spoke to probably over 125,000 people across the state in the in the uh, year and a half that I was running for governor, and uh, a lot of those people at the end of the day didn't vote for us, even though they had told me that they agreed 100% what we were standing on, but they decided to choose to vote for someone they thought could win. That was the first thing it showed us, and that was very disappointing, is that when we allow pragmatism to come in to our decisions, particularly who are going to be those that are governing over us or our leaders, um, that's not courage. They didn't vote with courage. They voted pragmatically, and they voted based on polls, or they voted based on whatever, and that was the party line. And we had the Republican Party in Washington State absolutely working against us, behind the scenes, wherever they could, to block us, because they had already backed the candidate that they thought could win. And at the end of the day, that candidate in the general election in November ended up being so much like the Democrat that they voted for the Democrat. So at the end of the day, it didn't work because uh, the Republican was trying to make himself look like the Democrat or Democrat light. And so when you have that kind of compromise, um, that is not going to win. It, in the long term, it hurts us, it harms us. And so that was the first thing we learned, is that unfortunately many didn't stand, some did, and we're grateful for those who did stand. And uh, we're working now with those who did stand uh, to try to, uh, you know, prepare things differently and work outside the system. The second thing it showed us is the the, the corruption within the political system. Um, if you know, as you know, Cynthia, in the presentation, I have uh, a warning about political parties from George Washington. He gave the, us a warning about the spirit of party politics and what it would do to the nation uh, and to our decisions. And uh, that's we saw that we saw. Um, that spirit at work, rather than principles being there, it was party. It was all about party. It was all about what letter was by your name. And that was disappointing, and that's part of why it has led us to kind of now look outside of the system um, and prepare uh, people um, for the days ahead outside of the current system. The third thing it showed us was, unfortunately, how corrupt our government really is. Uh, running for a statewide office, looking at the, at the, at the state government, uh, which we did a lot in, in preparing and in, in, um, in running, um, it was, it is, um, it's not a good picture. It, not only the corruption within the federal government, but at the state level and at the county level, um, it, it was, it was not good. And which is why in the presentation I assert that we need to prepare 
um, for um, for the collapse that is coming, uh, whether it's economic or some other way, and we need to prepare uh, and recognize that we're not truly free anymore. We think we're free, but we're not, and we need to break away. We need to become free once again um, of the control of this system that is over us now. Uh, but the positive that I saw within it is that I did see a remnant of people, particularly of God's people, that were standing. And that is the remnant that now we're working with in, in Washington State and in some other states who are people who get it, who know the seriousness of the hour, who know that apart from a godly solution, a, a moral solution based on his laws, we're not going to see restoration in this nation. And... Um, people who are courageously standing as that gener- next generation, current next generation. So that was very positive from that from that standpoint. But um, uh, to be honest with you, um, I, I, I don't see a solution that is from the political arena. Um, the the uh, it's almost to me like a stopgap right now. Uh, even if we are to make some inroads, it's a stopgap. The real solution is going to be thinking outside the box, which is why I assert that we're sort of come, we have come full circle as a nation, like our founders were. They have to think outside of the box when they were dealing with their current uh, environment, their current civic governmental environment. So um, it was an incredible journey. Um, we, we, we knew we were supposed to be in there. We knew that we were supposed to speak the truth and stand on those principles. And I think that um, we garnered a lot of uh, favor and support from that, but uh, it was also uh, grieving to see, um, you know, those who who um, were compromising and not standing, and uh, it just will never work. Compromise in the end won't work because usually it's one side doing most of the compromising. You know, when you talked about the different candidates, and one was the Republican was so much like the Democrat, you could have applied that to. George, uh, well, you could have said the same thing about John McCain and Obama. Then you could have said the same thing about Mitt Romney and Obama. And it seems like the Republican Party has this idea that if we put up the most left-leaning candidate, then they're the only ones who can be electable. But we are going to talk about political parties a little more in a minute Right now, we're going to take a quick little break and stay with us because we're going to be back. Hi, friends. Do you like what you're hearing? Then go to my website. It's CynthiaDavis.net and sign up for my newsletter. You'll get all this information and more when you sign up for my email reminding you of when you'll hear another podcast and letting you know what's coming up next. Besides, we always have a little bit of humor at the end, so go to CynthiaDavis.net and stay in the loop. For those of you who don't like email, go to my Facebook page. It's called Homefront with Cynthia Davis. And make sure you click the like button. That way, you'll have a convenient way to see what we're doing and to get the word when another podcast is released. That's Homefront with Cynthia Davis on Facebook. My website is CynthiaDavis.net. That's where we keep all our good stuff. So if you want to get our newsletter and find more podcasts, go to CynthiaDavis.net. Hey, let's stay in touch. And we are back just like we promised you we'd be back. And I know everybody's sitting on the edge of your seat wondering, what are we going to talk about with regard to political suicide? (laughs) And you mentioned that in your talk. And I'd like to get your thoughts on that because there were people who brought up to me that if I, after spending really all my life being a Republican, if I were to run on any other ticket, that would be the same as political suicide. And, it, you know, suicide is such a negative word, you know, it conjures up all kinds of, you imagine me laying on the floor all bloody and 
Yeah, it's awful. But the point mm-hmm. is we have to be brave and we have to be tough. And everyone who fought in the war for independence knew that there was a chance they wouldn't make it out alive. And they said, right. you know what, I don't care. Because what we're doing right now is worse. So, mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, this phrase, we're going to vote for the most electable candidate, doesn't it make you feel like smacking the next person who says it? Because they're creating well, their own. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're absolutely. Making, they're inventing this new word, the most electable candidate. And I would like to question everyone who says that, where is your crystal ball? Because you cannot say who is the most electable candidate. The most electable candidate is the one who wins the election. Duh. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, well, and of course, we heard that phrase over and over and over again, uh, including the phrase political suicide, because that's a fear. It's a scare tactic. The whole point is to, to conjure up that negative thought because they want to scare the person to say, if you even think about casting your vote for somebody, uh, and, and, and in our case, it was in the primary. So here we have a primary where in Washington State it was the top two primaries, so the top two vote-getters go forward. And um, so the fear tactic was, if you dare even throw your vote over at this guy, uh, me, uh, Hadian, uh, and not for the other guy, uh, you're committing political suicide. And we heard that time and time again because it's a fear tactic of you can't split the votes, you can't do this, you can't do that. And so that mantra that they constantly throw in there that is coming down from our state party leadership and the national leadership and even some county-level leadership, that's why the political, as far as I'm concerned, the Republican Party is now uh, mute. It's now, it's now null and void. It, it, it does not have a voice because, the, you know, uh, in our state, like probably other states, they've tried to uh, work at the grassroots to change the uh, grassroots party leadership. doesn't matter because... The state leadership, the national leadership, they have it in their mind that any candidate that stands on those conservative principles of our foundation uh, and, and that and, and anything on morality, anything on God, anything on those things are not electable. Don't even bother running. Don't even bother casting your vote for them. Um, and really, to, to, to a great extent, I think the time has come where candidates uh, like myself who are raised up or who maybe... Uh, have a sense of calling. Um, it, 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 it is becoming uh, virtually impossible to win statewide offices or federal offices because you'll never get the support of the mainstream. And especially, Cynthia, when the mainstream here in our party, I mean, in, in the Republican Party here in Washington State, um, they were they were influenced by um, the homosexual wing of the Republican Party, which are called log cabin Republicans. I had a good friend of mine who was running for for uh, Congress here. Who was was uh, you know had a strong candidacy had uh, was the second time they were running uh, was leading in a, in, in a newly created district um, at the end of the day the the National Republican Party and the, and and the uh, Congressional Republican Party the the uh, group that is in Congress that you know re- recruits candidates they not only did not back him with financial support or or really any support but they actually worked against him. And his campaign manager found out that they were leaking information to his socialist Marxist Democrat opponent because the law cabinet Republicans didn't like the fact that he had a very strong stance on marriage and would not budge. And actually, they wanted him to fire his entire staff um, in, 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 uh, for, so that they could put more, quote-unquote, moderate uh, staff members on his team. And he refused, and they didn't back him. And the state party didn't back him, uh, gave him, you know, a piddly amount of money, like $35,000. Meanwhile, they gave my opponent, my Republican opponent, $1.75 million, told people uh, eight months before the primary election that there's no other credible candidates in the race. That's the kind of stuff that we saw. And so when you see that kind of stuff, you realize, uh, again, in my opinion, in my, what I experienced, the solution is outside of the party politics. The solution is going back to the foundation. George Washington said, I mean, people forget that when the nation was founded, there were no political parties. They, they forget that. They forget that they were operating on the principles of what somebody stood for, not what, what letter was by their name. And, I have um, heard. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, go ahead. And 
And yet you say the political parties are not our hope, but who is our hope? Because what's left, the political parties tend to have a monopoly on it. And let me ask you about my story. I had a fascinating experiment on how strong the church is in Missouri because there was a Republican lobbyist who put together a voter's guide and he also claimed to stand for family values. And so it would be a natural fit for a lot of church members to want to trust his judgment. So he put together a voter's guide on who all the good guys are that the church members are supposed to vote for. Well, it sounds like a great plan, doesn't it? Well, mm-hmm. <laughs> what happened is they printed two million of them and had an, a magnificent program to distribute them to all the churches the Sunday before the election. And they left my name off of it. The one person who was the true champion of the family, and instead of listing me, they listed the guy, my opponent, who likes to go to strip clubs. And had really tarnished the office with with his other moral problems, which a church member shouldn't like. Now, general population, I don't expect them to care. But when you're catering to an audience of people who claim to adhere to the Bible, and then you've got mm-hmm. somebody with this tarnishment on his record, it doesn't make sense. So what was my choice? I had no choice but to, to fight back and and to hold up my end. And so we called all the churches and asked them if they would like my voter's guide as well. And sadly, the story didn't, I don't know how to explain it, except if you went to somebody's house and the couple who you came to visit was in the middle of having a fight, you would feel very uncomfortable, and you might even excuse yourself and say, I'm going to leave, I'll come back on another day when you guys aren't fighting. And that is what the church behaved like. Excuse me, we don't know what's, who's right and who's wrong, so we're just going to leave. Now, what if the person coming over to visit the fighting couple was the mother who said, look, you sit down and you sit down and I'm going to be the, the one who's the arbitrator. And, and the church was, was not strong enough to make decisions of, of what is right and wrong. They were so busy relying on whatever the Republicans told them is the right way to go. And there are many people who've been very turned off by the church because it has seemed to be overtly Republican when they're people who get on, uh, you know, committed and they become zealous for their party. And then they have used those people as sheep, as if they're not smart enough to make their own decisions. So I will say, Sharam, maybe part of why you and I both lost was because we didn't have the backing of the people who are supposed to articulate the principles of the Bible. Well, that, that's certainly true, and uh, my experience was that, uh, unfortunately, uh, the same thing happened in Washington State. I had uh, certain pastors and certain churches actually working against me um, because they had already backed the other candidate, uh, even though, as I said, he was openly um, uh, for abortion, for, for the women's right to choose, quote-unquote. He was openly supporting um, civil unions, homosexual unions. He actually came out before the primaries, and was uh, uh, putting pressure on the Boy Scouts to uh, to allow homosexuals into the Boy Scouts, on and on and on. And this is the candidate that uh, certain pro- certain prominent pastors who were politically minded uh, started backing, which caused a lot of confusion. Um, and there was no arbitration. There was nobody that can come in and say, "Hey, let's let's set the record straight." In fact, one of these pastors who has um, a the, he has a website that does recommendations. Um, uh, you know, uh, endorsed the other candidate, uh, violating his own, uh, his own, uh, criteria. Because <laughs> his criteria was that the candidate had to be pro-life and pro-marriage. And he, he, he uh, and his, his response to people was, well, I think that candidate has better leadership skills. That's why I'm backing him. So, it's this type of stuff that's there. Now, that is why in my presentation on restoring the constitutional republic, I talk about uh, three elements for seeing restoration. One is individual, meaning we individually each have to choose to walk in freedom, to walk in the morality of God and, and those things that were foundational to our nation. Uh, two, I talk about the responsibility of the church. But part of the thing that has happened in the church is that the church has put itself under the state. Uh, 
and, and the church has to become free again, has to be able to, we need courageous pastors, courageous leaders, as we saw pre the revolution with the black robe regiment pastors. I talk about those pastors in uh, my presentation. Those pastors who uh, the British coined them as the black robe because they were not only spiritually preparing their people but practically preparing their people um, for uh, for securing independence and, and for standing on uh, the higher laws, on God's laws. Those pastors who John Adams termed them as pastors who would thunder from the pulpit. If we don't have some of those pastors again, we're in deep trouble and the church has to become free. And then uh, I also believe that the third part of this formula is that we have to see our states freed up again um, to restore um, uh, the foundation, our foundational law, which was the common law. We have to break away from government dependency. Um, all of these things are there, but uh, there's, there's, there's great confusion uh, because the church ultimately, it, it, in my opinion, it falls on the church the moral condition of the nation falls on the church because the church as a whole um, has not engaged the, the, the responsibility to steward the, the morality uh, of, the, of the nation. And so as the things that have happened over the last 100 years, 80 years, 60 years, uh, where God has been removed, where um, uh, morality has been removed, uh, in many cases through the decisions of our government, our courts, um, the church did nothing. When abortion was passed in 1973, the church did nothing. In fact, in Washington State, there was a, um, uh, we were the first state, and actually the only state to this day, that voted in abortion by the vote of the people. Um, oh, my goodness. <laughs> in 1970, we had a referendum that was on the ballot that was called, and it was so slimy, the title. It was called, Every Child Should Be Wanted. Therefore, if you don't want the child, you should be able to have access to get an abortion. And so it confused a lot of people, and the churches at that time didn't engage because they thought there's no way that this will ever get passed. That was their mindset. We're not going to engage because there's no way that people would vote this. And they did. It got voted, and we became the first and only state um, to legalize abortion by the vote of the people, which, of course, three years later, when Roe v. Wade was, was passed by the Supreme Court, it struck down laws in 46 states. 46 states had laws protecting life. It was struck down by that decision. So, and, um, go and ahead. To, yeah. this, to this day, our national government is funding Planned Parenthood at a huge amount of money. So they they so they will have funds available to abort babies. Yeah. And it's because the Republicans have said that's okay. Every time they vote for a continuing resolution, even though they aren't a majority, it couldn't pass without some of them joining forces. So we have a caller. Can you entertain a question? And uh, Sure. I can. Can I just, could I add one quick thing before we take the caller? And I'm just on that point you made, Cynthia, that people have to understand that constitutionally, as, as, and I think most people know this, but, but some people forget, constitutionally, the purse strings of the government, federal government, are in the House of Representatives. So the House of Representatives, as Republican control, they could defund any tax uh, or, or, or any budget, and they could strip out any funding for Planned Parenthood. Yet last year, in 2011-2012, we saw the record amount of dollars, the most money ever given to Planned Parenthood in our nation's history, given to support the destruction of lives. Just want to add that, and then we'll take the caller. Go ahead. Sure. Go ahead, caller. What's your question? Oh, I'm, this is Christopher Clegg. I'm uh, a member of the Black Robe Regiment that you're talking about. Fantastic. Um, yes, sir. Um, and I am uh, the director of uh, the abolitionist movement here in Missouri, and um, mm. I have to agree with you, sir, that the uh, the church has just completely fallen asleep, and we are um, trying to concentrate our efforts on waking up the church. Yes. Um, the the voters' guide that Cynthia was talking about does not surprise me. I know who she's talking about, but um, you know, I guess my question is is um, uh we have completely lost has the the uh the Republican Party just completely uh broken free of any alliance with the Christian church. 
I mean, uh, are they, uh, you know, I mean, because, uh, you know, biblical Christians don't know who to look for now uh, as far as who to vote for. Because uh, the, with the, what I think uh, Karl Rove was quoted as saying, we need to stop worrying about issues like abortion and homosexuality, issues like that that don't matter. Right. Did you hear him say that? I did. Yeah, I did. Yeah, and so where do we go from here? Well, to answer your question, um, uh, first of all, do I think that the Republican Party has has, uh, completely moved away from the church? I think that the only reason they're hanging on to the church, personally speaking, and we see it in our state party leadership. We just had our state party leadership there. Uh, our, 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 the state party chair of the Republican Party just resigned uh, for to go to do something else, and they're now trying to get an, another chair. And I've heard comments from some of these chairs, people that are running, that the grassroots, uh, you know, the conservative base, uh, particularly the Christian conservatives, that they are uh, part of the problem, that they're what's holding back the Republican Party from being able to win over the new voters um, because uh, we tend to be dogmatic and, and we won't compromise, and, and so we're seen now as a hindrance. So I think the only reason they're even hanging on to the church is because they know that they can't win without those votes. And so, but at the same time, they continue to um, not only disregard but utterly come against those candidates or those people that say, look. Uh, we cannot ignore the, the moral condition of the nation uh, and think that we can change anything. And uh, where do we go from here? What we're trying to do is we believe that, that, that we must seek out the remnant of the church. Uh, uh, thank you for being involved in the black robe. Thank you for uh, you know, carrying that message because I, I truly believe that God can... Um, that we can touch his heart for this nation. I still believe in this nation, in its destiny and its calling that I believe was there from the beginning, but that we must touch the heart of God with our commitment to stand with him rather than him standing with us. Because we always say, and I said this in my campaign, people constantly say, well, God bless America, God bless America. I say, no, stop saying God bless America. It's time for America to bless God. We yeah. must stand with him and his principles and his laws uh, to, to, to touch his heart to come and, and change this nation, um, our, our, our leaders, our hearts, and, and uh, to respond. So I hold hope, but the hope, I believe, is in a small few, is in a remnant, and that's what we're focusing on right now. I'm not looking at the masses. I'm not looking at the majority. I'm not looking at the polls. We're looking for the remnant. We're looking to connect with one another, work together, and work to stand um, on on what God sees as necessary. And that's why we need some of those Black Crow Regiment pastors who will stand and will say, I don't care what happens to me. Uh, And by the way, I talk about in the presentation that our church came out of the 501c3 um, because the 501c3, which is the incorporation of the church to make the church a business, uh, yes. is actually completely unnecessary uh, because the, the IRS's code 508 says we're exempt uh, and tax deductible as a church. So we've come out. We've come out, and now we've put our authority directly under God again, and we, are, we have declared to be a free church. And I believe we need to see more do that so that we can um, be the church. And, and if, if uh, the church is not going to be the church, then we're not going to see restoration, in my, in my opinion. Well, we, you, uh, before I get off, Cynthia, I wanted to plug this thing uh, that's going on tomorrow in Alton, Illinois. This uh, It's a First Amendment, uh, Elijah P. Lovejoy, uh, First Amendment, uh, uh, free speech, free religion, uh, press rally uh, there at the very site of the uh, Lincoln-Douglas debate. So uh, I will be there. Uh, there's going to be some great pastors there and um, you know, so we encourage anybody that's, uh, especially after this incident in St. Charles where, uh, these, uh, peaceful, uh, tea partiers were, uh, violently arrested for, uh, their just, uh, holding signs on a overpass. Uh, what a, what a violation of their free speech rights that was. Was that not a atrocity? My goodness. Yeah. 
Chris, thank you for calling and reminding us of yes. all this. We're at a point now, too, where they're monuments, and, and that's the point you're making, is that our country now has places where we can go back. And, and in, I love your part about the monument in Massachusetts. I actually lived in Massachusetts. I somewhat grew up there, and where I lived was only 43 miles from my front door to Plymouth, where that monument mm. is in the monumental. Mm. And it just shocked me that I could have lived there so many years, and I never even knew it existed. Right, right. It's been buried. So this is what it's about, is can we find our past and, and, and find the path that made it work before, and can it work again? And I love your 501c3 story because <clears throat> we're now at a point where the Salvation Army and the YMCA were examples of groups that were founded for good and noble purposes. And once government got their tentacles into their organization, you don't hear much at the YMCA about it being a young men's Christian association anymore. You don't right. hear much. Um, that it's it, it is they've been diluted and yes. it should sadden all of us but you say the constitution declares that we cannot be molested in our conscience what do you mean by that and what is that all about well in obviously within the first amendment of the bill of rights um as chris was talking about with the first amendment right of freedom of religion freedom of press freedom of assembly um, that, to some extent, protects our conscience. Uh, for us, for example, in Washington State, our state constitution uh, specifically says, uh, and the wording is, that you cannot be molested in your uh, right of conscience, that, that, that we have uh, as an unalienable right by God given a conscience. And so, therefore, uh, that's not supposed to be molested. Uh, well, um, we've had numerous cases here. In fact, right now we have a case of a florist uh, that is in eastern Washington uh, that is being sued by the state of Washington and by the ACLU because she, um, even though she had a business that was open to people coming in and buying flowers and um, uh, this particular homosexual couple would come in and buy flowers, when the homosexual couple asked her if she would perform their wedding and bring flowers for their wedding, she refused because of her Christian faith. Then it turned into a lawsuit. Our attorney general is suing this business uh, citing uh, not the state constitution, but citing a law that they passed on, uh, on uh, anti-discrimination, uh, citing sexual orientation. So this business is now put in the position, as was another business, uh, a pharmacist that has refused to sell the Plan B drug, that is still ongoing. Uh, they, they've had a six-and-a-half-year litigation with the state that is still ongoing. This business is now in litigation where they are being told by the state, you either will comply or we'll put you out of business, basically, because of our fines. And so there is where we are being molested in our absolute right of conscience. The First Amendment is absolutely being molested left and right. And uh, we are now seeing the long train of abuses that was uh, is talked about in the Declaration. That's why in the presentation, Cynthia, if you remember, to me the heart of the presentation and the heart of the message is it's time to reassert our Declaration of Independence. It's time for us to live as the founders did, standing on the laws of nature and nature's God, which they assert in the very first paragraph of the Declaration, to saying we must now obey God before we obey man, because when they're forcing us to violate our conscience, who do we obey? Do we obey man? Do we obey the government? Or do we obey God? And so this is where we're put into this place, and we must reassert the declaration and begin to live by it again, and know that not only do we have a right, we have a duty to be able to alter or abolish or throw off such government uh, when it forfeits its right to protect those rights. And that's why we are seeing, um, when I talk about in the presentation about free states, we are seeing... Um, rising up of assemblies again, uh, committees of safety again around Washington State and around the country. Well, these committees, the committees of correspondence, committees of safety, assemblies, were instrumental in leading up to the delegates that went to the First Continental Congress in Philadelphia uh, in 1774 and ultimately to the seventh, second one where they signed the Declaration of Independence. We're running out of time, but your website is truthinloveproject.com. Yes. Thank you for being with us tonight, Sharam. Come back again. 
I would this love to thank you This has another edition of Homefront on Missouri Grassroots Radio. I'm Cynthia Davis and hope you enjoyed our program. Please join us next week when we offer another infusion of truth, honesty, and solutions that will grow people bigger and shrink government smaller. Thank you for joining us. See you next week.